Hey there, and welcome to the Tribe of Leaders podcast. I'm your host, Emmy Kirshner. I'm a serial entrepreneur, investor, and business coach for ambitious women who are boldly taking their business to the next level. And I believe that building a successful business isn't about working 24-7 just to merely meet a revenue goal. What it does take is a unique blend of dedication to purpose, courageous action, and frequently sheer will to overcome the odds that lead to meaningful impact and experiencing a life well lived. In each episode, you'll get to know the women and men who are unafraid to put it all on the line as they share the stories of success and failure that have made them incredible leaders and the magic they gift the world with. As you're listening, and I hope finding value, don't forget to share the Tribe of Leaders podcast with all of your other entrepreneurial friends and to follow us wherever you're listening to this podcast. I've often said that my kids have taught me more about business building and leadership than many of the trainings I've attended over the years. And honestly, even more than some of the business coaches that I've worked with. And my guest today, Amy Anderson, who is also a single mom and the co-founder of Wild Coffee Marketing, shares how her free range parenting style has really informed and guided her in how she develops and builds her team as well. We're both very aligned in how we want to care and create unity and experiences that build independence for our teams, which I loved. And Amy has almost 30 years of marketing experience working with brands like Calvin Klein, New York Times Digital, and her company shapes how Amy helps shape the brands that she and her team work with by implementing innovative marketing strategies that really helps them stand out uniquely in their industry. And she does it essentially as a fractional CMO and bringing the whole team into her clients' businesses in a way that allows them to deliver exactly what that client needs when they need it. Before we dive into the interview, though, My oldest son is visiting me from Salt Lake City and as I'm recording this, and it's right before Thanksgiving. And we've been talking about what we learned in 2022 and what our goals are for 2023. We are both just a little bit obsessed with measuring and tracking our progress, and we're continuously looking for strategies to help us do that more easily, which leads me to ask you, are you ready for 2023? I know this time of year can be super busy, and if you're thinking about waiting till January to figure out what your game plan is for 2023, you could be missing out on your biggest opportunity to kick off the year with incredible momentum. And I want 2023 to be your best year yet, regardless of what the economy might be doing. And that's why for a very limited time, like literally now through the end of the year, I'm offering the PDF version of the Your Amazing Year Quarterly Planner. Usually I reserve the planner just for my legacy leader circle clients, but I believe that if we are going to see change in the world, women absolutely must lead the way. There has never, like truly never been a better time for you to grow and expand your business to the next level than right now. And Honestly, any resource that I can make available to you to help get you there, I want to be able to provide that because I know one of the things that I've struggled with 
as I've been growing my business is and forecasting out and how to get it all done is really staying focused on my monthly and quarterly goals when I feel mired in that day-to-day of running the business. And believe me, I have used dozens of different planners over the years, and none of them have helped me keep that long-term vision in sight like your amazing year planner. And that's why it is so, so different. The planner is designed specifically for the way women work. And it walks you through identifying what's working, what's not working in your business, the key areas that will help create success for you and help you plan out the time needed to reach those goals. Plus there's space for tracking habits, note-taking and journaling, plus so much more. So if you've been carrying around a journal and a planner, I think you're going to enjoy being able to keep everything in one place. And if you're tired of living in overwhelm with endless to-do lists or not meeting your targets regularly, and you'd like to experience more calm in the future while still making a really big impact, you can find out more about the Your Amazing Year Planner in the show notes or go to emmykirshner.com because believe me, I could go on all day about how this planner will change your life, but it's time to get into my interview with Amy Anderson. Hey, Amy. We have been jamming for like the last 20 minutes and finally decided to hit record on this podcast so we could bring everybody else into our super fun, cool, and deep conversation, but share with everybody a little bit about who you are and the magic that you make, and then we can continue our conversation. (laughs) Yes, I I mean, we do it every time. So having met you once before, thank you so much for having me today, Emmy, first of all. But I am the co-founder of a marketing consulting firm called Wild Coffee. And that might not be significant in and of itself, but maybe my entering 30 years of marketing this year after graduating from college, having it be all that I've ever done. Um, And I've certainly... Thank you. Thank you. I can't even believe the number. I just try to sort of let that be. It's just been a long time and had learning so much along the way and finding that I'm still really getting excited about the work that I do, the team that I lead and who I work side by side with every day and these awesome clients that we've been working with. So I feel grateful to be in a place in my career where it still sort of gets me out of bed and lit up every day. That is amazing because I don't think too many people can say that. Do you not think? Don't you think that we've become a little bit more? I don't know. You know, we talked about my son just started college. We've yeah. talked about. And I try not to say, sort of find your passion or love what you do and it'll never feel like work. Right. It does feel like work. Sometimes. Oh, yeah. But I get feel- me in a conversation about it and doing it. And I don't know how to stop. I don't think most people find their passion in their 20s and take the leap to follow it. And maybe that's changing, I think, with our kids' generation a little bit more. I think they're way more clear and in touch with who they are and what they want. But yeah, I think a lot of people are still in the, I should do this. Right. Well, I I think our children are more vocationally minded than we were. I mean, I was an English and art history major. I was thinking about that while I was in the gym this morning. You know, I'm lifting weights thinking, what is the value of liberal arts education in 2022? You know, my son's in the business school and I was looking at books and art and writing papers, not even thinking about what I was going to do after. So how did you make that transition? Well, my dad said four years, no summer school. And when you graduate, you will be cut off financially. And, you know, I mean, I've told that story to people and there are some, there's a camp that says that is amazing because he created drive in you if you didn't have it already out of necessity. And there's another camp that says, well, why not give 
a graduate or a young person some freedom to explore before hyper adulting, we call it in my family. Right. And I don't know, but where I was with that, but I went into New York City. I knew I wanted to be living there after Chapel Hill. And I got an introduction to the head of HR at 17 magazine. And I oh, said, wow. hmm, marketing and advertising. This seems really fun. I knew nothing about it. And I was the ultimate schlep. So I did anything that anyone needed to done in the advertising sales, mm-hmm. marketing and promotions department and loved it. And I think that my career in my 20s, to your point, was very much a process of elimination. Right. I like this. I don't love this. Let me go find more of what I like and less of what I don't like. So I went from 17 Magazine and print, which I didn't find was very measurable. You know, you had subscription numbers and readers per copy, but it didn't feel accountable enough. And I went and did broadcast for Calvin Klein after that. So I had a $70 million co-op budget when I was 23 doing fragrance advertising. So Obsession, all those amazing Kate Moss ads, Eternity with Christy Turlington, all of those. And I did that with DCs and all of their co-op partners. It was amazing. It was a great place to sort of get brought up in my career. And then the internet happened. So I was the head of new media and really started to learn about internet media. And then I went to the New York Times digital and I was part of the first group that launched MITimes.com. So then for me, I was like, oh, digital and serving ads to people who have registered and provided information and sort of digitizing content and creating UX, UI and user experience. And that's where I really sort of found my groove and continue from there. So what made you choose to start your own company as opposed to continuing down the corporate path? I was such a good corporate person. I sort of labeled myself as that. I was so good at it. Like I knew how to play, not play the game, but I I knew where to find my place. I knew how to be good in that environment. I followed direction really well. I I knew how to present ideas. I was innovative in a corporate setting as much as I could be. And it was safe for me. I liked it. And then I got divorced and I hadn't worked for two years. And I had two children, five and eight-year-old boys. And I was really nervous about going back into a corporate environment and being gone quite a bit. I was living in Miami Mm -hmm. and Miami back then, you know, this was 10 years ago, was filled with a lot of corporations with Latin American outposts there. There weren't a lot of US-based companies targeting the US. So I would have been traveling quite a bit and not around for them. So it was really out of necessity for the boys. And my parents decided to invest in my company. So they said, we'll give you a year. They invested for 12 months. And I was fortunate for that. And they said, you've always exceeded our expectations. Let's see what you can do with this. So they helped me live. And I just started doing some social media consulting. And from there, I teamed up with my former boss and started doing what I love, which is really sort of strategy branding and figured out that there's so many companies who need a VP of marketing or CMO, but not all the time. Yeah. And that's what I became to them. That is so amazing. So, so amazing. And what I'm curious about too, since you said that you've been doing marketing for 30 years is what do you still love about it? Like right now? Oh gosh. For positioning for me is that fundamental foundation mm-hmm. to look at a brand, a product, a company, figure out what the competitive alternatives are, figure out what you have that your competitors don't look at the value of what that is define your market segment, and then build everything from there. I just love it. That sounds amazing and magical. So, you know, we will not start a consulting engagement for our clients unless we've done that initial positioning work, because it's like being two degrees off course in a boat and you're trying to get to South Africa and you end up in England, you know? 
Yeah, absolutely. And I totally agree and think that's like the most brilliant place to start because even if a company has like, oh, well, we already have X, Y, and Z done, your analysis of the complete parts of that is going to be different than if you're just looking at what somebody else has already done for them or what they think they've done. I mean, I see that with my own clients and they'll say they, you know, they know one part of their marketing or they really feel solid in their sales or their team. But when I start looking at the whole thing, strategically speaking, I see the gaps totally differently than they do. Right. Right. And a lot of co-founders are very close to their product. Yes. So for us, right, it's very hard what you do and sort of those advisory services are very hard when they're connected to it. So usually, you know, our sweet spot with clients is between five and 50 million in revenue. We've done higher little that's lower because in that co-founder stage, it's really hard to sort of break. I need them to have made some mistakes and realize that sort of their vision in this part is not the full spectrum from a marketing perspective. Mm -hmm. And they're open to this sort of foundational work and considering, you know what, you have multiple customer segments, multiple things they care about. Let's get some third-party validation about some of those things and build out strategy for each of those from there. You know, if they're sort of single-minded in this, I've done this, you know, I can probably too find some gaps there, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Or even whole target markets that aren't being addressed because they've had success in one vertical. We talked to somebody recently who's spending $80,000, $100,000 a month in radio and it's FM radio and they're doing well, but they're starting to see the declines and that's because they've saturated that and they haven't opened their product to an older customer segment, which is not typically in that radio audience. So... I'm just going to share because I'm like, I didn't even know anybody listened to FM radio anymore. So they do. And it's younger. It's a younger uh, really? demographic. That's all. Yes. Yes. That totally it's podcast and, yeah. Me too. I was a little surprised. I thought I'd be a little older, but they're hitting that 1834 really hard really? and have done very well. Yes. Wow. Thank you. I just learned something really cool today. Cause like my kids, I mean, we had Sirius in the car, so I stopped listening to FM years ago and I got rid of it because I drive like not at all being in Philly. And then, but my kids and like a lot of my younger clients all use their phone for music or information or podcasts right. or whatever. So I was under the impression that's what everybody did. Right. No, there's still a pretty large audience out there. So the non-streamers yeah. and non-serious users. So, you know, what's interesting, we're doing some more connected TV. Mm-hmm. So they also call it OTT. So we can actually target people by IP address on television and streaming services. And, you know, 65% of people surveyed in this one study said, you know what, that's fine because I really want to see ads that are relevant to me. So, you know, there are, you know, those privacy concerns that we look at with retargeting, things like that. And it has gotten harder, right? But some of the things with OTT and connected TV are really interesting for us to do sort of awareness campaigns to people who care. I love that. Yeah, it's fun. You just totally made my day. I love it. That's why, you know, you can never stop learning in this business, right? Right. And that's why our model works because we, I'm really trying. I mean, my mission is to transform the way in-house teams and marketing teams are built for companies and to run an in-house team in this environment. How many distinct skill sets do you need to cover all the bases? Maybe you'll cover three out of 10 and then you have to hire an agency partner or you have to hire four freelancers or two boutique digital firms. And then everything's disjointed and not the way it's supposed to be. And who's leading that, Mm -hmm. right? So with what we're doing, you know, it's an outsourced CMO. We build that strategy and do that foundation. 
And then we have client side marketers who run the business. So they're like the VP of marketing for or director of marketing for three different companies. And then we own our own agency. So all of the creative and all of the implementation is still coming out of our team. So it creates cohesion on a fractional basis for these companies. And they can do a lot more with a lot less money. And I think it makes a lot of economic sense for them. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Because you're almost like one-stop shopping for them and at an expert level, like a well-mastered, well-informed expert level that they can't get anywhere else. No. I mean, you know what CMOs are getting paid now to be in-house and you have to be a big company. And then who else are you going to have? You're going to have four digital people, a long-form copywriter, a short-form copywriter, digital designers, print designers, packaging, 3D. I mean, so we have the ability to pull all, all of that, but you don't need them 40 hours a week, right. right? And you don't need to carry their whole health insurance. Let me do that, right? You know, so it just works. It takes a lot of trust, right? Stretch Zone, when a practitioner-assisted stretching gym, we've been with them for two years. They've grown from 50 locations and now they're at 210, but they don't have a single marketing person in-house. We are their entire outsourced team. So that takes a lot of trust to say, you know what, I'm going to outsource everything mm-hmm. to a company outside of ours. So you have to find ways to really deliver, do what you say you're going to do, bring the energy all the time, all of the ideation, and treat their budgets like they're ours. And that's sort of the value behind what we work with every day. Yeah, yeah. I really feel like, because I've seen this with HR and with the financial aspects of business too. And I feel like it's almost like a new model of doing business because you get to have, when you're bringing on the right team, such as yours, really just a higher level of service and a higher level of being able to grow the business because of what you're delivering and how you can see things that are outside of the company. And it just makes so much more sense to me. Well, it's funny that you mentioned HR part because we have a company called Wild Coffee HR and Wild Coffee Marketing. Right. So we see that value. That is sort of my vision too, that it's sort of a consulting model. And then, you know, eventually to do wild coffee finance, but we walk our own talk. Our CFO is fractional. Mm-hmm. I need him. You know, what's bookkeepers look in the past, right. CFOs look forward. Right. And I think you and I spoke about this when we first talked. And that is, I think a lot of startups or people starting their own businesses don't look at the financials soon enough. Correct. And to really understand those KPIs and those metrics that are going to drive value and growth in the business. And I don't think we looked at those soon enough. And we managed to pull it off. But now I have really good cash forecasting, you know, really good sort of accountability metrics financially. But I don't need him 40 hours a week. I need him a few hours a week. And that's what makes sense. So that fractional model for finance, for HR and recruiting. And we see it as a really sort of value for the marketing side, for sure. Yeah, yeah. I want to switch topics just a little bit because I'm curious to you, like, what has it been like for you building this amazing business as a single mom? Oh, that. <laughs> I know it was like for me. <laughs> yeah, you know, the first thing that comes to me is um, acceptance that I I didn't want to have thoughts that I wasn't, would tell myself a story sometimes. Well, I'm, because I'm doing this, I don't feel like I'm an amazing parent and an amazing business person. I felt like I had to make compromises at both on both sides. And then I realized that was a story. I call it a brain reflex sometimes, right? Or that doubt or that thinking came in. Instead, I sort of flipped that over the years to say, I'm inspiring my children. They watch me do this every day. I have created flexibility for these boys who also have good boundaries with me. 
You know, for a lot of people, moms on a Zoom call just came in at 2020. I've been saying it since 2017. This business has been run. We've created a, a distributed model from the beginning and boundaries like that. And I don't think that I have to really sacrifice my parenting or my work. I don't know. It just sort of came maybe more hours in the day than some people. But it felt very free, you know, that I was parenting as a single person and had a lot of freedom Mm -hmm. to do that. And I was running a business and building a business and felt very free doing that. So rather than looking at the compromise, the scarcity sort of mindset, I really tried to flip that on its head. Yeah, there's a flow, I think, that you, when you're looking at it that way, that you get to embody. So which for me sometimes felt a little bit like juggling just because random things would happen that I wasn't expecting. Like, oh, I forgot my lunch and I have in the middle of a meeting and like those types of things. But like I really designed my day around my kids. And when we saw what when I saw things that you know, weren't working, then we I could make shifts too. So I don't know yes. if that was the same for you or absolutely time-wise, you know, I had two athletes, mm-hmm. one of whom moved out of the house after eighth grade to go play for a soccer academy in Orlando, where he's in a semi-pro professional academy now being homeschooled and training twice a day. So I had that sort of intensity too. So to be able to design that time around supporting their athletics, I didn't really support schoolwork. I mean, to be honest, like I realized I rarely looked at report cards. I said, look, this is your deal. I'm not going to manufacture motivated students and try to get you false grades and push you a little bit harder. So you might get an edge and then you're going to go to college and really not have the ability or drive to do it. Mm-hmm. So I was a very hands-off. So that helped me. I mean, if I had been a really involved academic mom, I don't know how I would have done it. I mean, we had conversations about whether or not they could do better in certain things, but, and what the expectations were, but I fostered a lot of independence. Which I think is important, right? My son, Marshall, who's 15 now, about two years ago, came to me and said, mom, mom, I saw a TikTok or a YouTube video. I figured out what kind of parent you are. And I said, well, what is about to come next when some, a child <laughs> yeah, right? tells you to figure out what kind of parent you are? And he said, you're a free range parent. And he had seen, I guess there's this, you know, we had helicopter lawnmower and then the maybe the correction is free range, but I would give them a lot of independence and foster that and freedom. And then they would prove to me they could handle it. It was developmentally appropriate, of course. And then I right. give them more. And then they live into that and I give them more. So yeah. maybe that's just the way it was done more when we were younger. I mean, I feel like my parents didn't even know where I was most of the time. But, you know, I think they'll grow into the space. The same with yeah. your employees. If right. they have the capability and the capacity, they'll grow into the space. Just create it for them. You know? Well, and that was my next question is how has that translated into how you've developed the business and the team? Because for me, it's always correlated because that's how I look at human beings is if you're setting them up for success and you're giving them space to lean into things and to grow and to take on new responsibilities. A lot of times they will, most of the time they will. And if they, Absolutely. and if they're not, then consistently, then there's conversations to be had. Right. And they may just be on the wrong seat on the bus. Yeah. You know, I find a lot of times they're just not quite maybe in the right job. You know, I think as women leaders, I think it's interesting to use our natural instincts, which a lot of times are compassion, empathy, nurturing, mm-hmm. you know, listening. And not to say that men don't have those qualities or don't do those things, but I think it comes very naturally when we respond first, right? Yeah. So I have really tried to foster a culture of kindness and compassion. And when you say they're human beings, absolutely, I say it all the time. They're not workers. They're not employees. They're humans who have taken 
a chance on my business partner and me and this company. And I feel really honored that they're with us. So I treat that with a lot of care. You know, I think compassion comes in the form of clarity. Mm-hmm. You know, what is the expectation in this role and at this firm? A lot of understanding about the whole person and sort of what they're going through. I mean, I've had a few employees who have had health issues in the last few months and really trying to create space for them to say, what do you need? Because we're here, you know, our, my creative director is pregnant, which is so exciting. And for a business, our size, we do 12 weeks of full paid leave. Cause I can't imagine anybody doing anything else. Right. A team member. That's an investment that you make. Yeah. In your team, you Absolutely. know, Absolutely. Well, I didn't get full. I didn't get maternity leave in a corporate yeah, environment. I left corporate. Well, I wasn't really in corporate, but I left my job when I had my oldest and then I started catering after that. So I could just work whenever I wanted to. And after I'd had the second one, I had Matthew. So like I opted out of all of that because I was like, this is my kid. I need time to be with him and have that experience. So I can't. Right. Well, especially a 12 week old baby, right? We get 12 weeks typically, right? Right. In the United States, a 12 week old baby is a really small baby. You know, and I looked at this little baby who I loved so much and I was like, here, I have to go back to work. And so even then in a corporate environment, it was my first day at a new job. My eldest was six months old and I needed a place to pump. And I was still nursing at the time. And the CEO, who was a woman, said, go to the garage. Tell her, she told her executive assistant, tell her to go to the garage in my car. And I said, well, that's the kind of hard thing to do. I don't have an adapter for the car. And then they sent me into a restroom and there was no, that's not the ideal place to do that. And there was no electricity in there. So I ended up, they created a room for me, this wonderful woman upstairs. I'll never forget her name is Andrea. They created a room on the place where they, it was a financial services firm that they cut all the checks. And so it was like these printers printing checks because it was a mortgage (laughs) services form. And so I would sit by these printers that were doing checks and they put a sign on the door that said private in use, speak to Andrea with any questions. But I'll go up there with, my pump. And then eventually it was like the underground railroad of nursing moms because I got a designated conference room and all of that. And this was in 2004. So it was a long time ago, but we are humans, you know, who have babies and families and all parents need mm-hmm. to be seen. And I think COVID did that for us a lot. Of, I think it humanized a lot of people, you yeah. know, the hybrid workforce, you know, is working. Yeah, I agree because I think it showed a lot of our are ugly for lack of a better term at this moment. And a lot of what's not working because we had to just slow down and have time to reflect instead of being in this constant merry-go-round of get up, work, do all the stuff. And I think that's part of why we've had, you know, the great resignation is because people are like, I'm not going to do it anymore. Right. What are your thoughts about the great resignation and sort of what's happening in the market with what do you think people are looking for or lacking that's causing that? For me, I think a lot of it's, it's, realizing that the way that we work or we were working and the exhaustion and the burnout and the dissatisfaction was really brought to light. And just what I said, like people don't want to put up with that anymore. I don't think they know what they want necessarily. I don't think we all know what we want, but there's, I've been interviewing so many amazing people who have really shifted their business and we're already starting to, but really shifted their business to focus on creating better teams, better organizations, better leaders around being human centric and moving away from that kind of authoritarian worker, use them up, spit them out, get a new one. And like, thank God it's time. Right. Right. Because it's, there is no separation in work or life. Like it's, 
all one thing and we have to look at it kind of at this fluid movement and right. similar to what we were saying before is we both of us had started our business it, it's fluid it's not here's the bucket for work and here's the bucket for kids and here's the bucket just moving with all of the pieces and putting them together in the best way possible right it's not as though we shut our families out yeah. while we're working and then we go home and we shut work out we're not compartmentalized like that. No. And I know the guys can, I can never say compartmentalize. (laughs) Really think about it. I know the guys can do that better than we can, which is fantastic. And I think as more women are starting businesses, taking leadership positions, making bigger strides in the workplace, we have to bring that fluidity into it because it's better for all of us. And to stop trying to work in a way that doesn't work for us. Right. And I think that, I mean, I hope that leaders are more open to hearing what the needs are, because I think inherently we want to meet the needs of others. Yeah. I think if someone expresses a fundamental need, I think, you know, unless you're disordered or have a completely different agenda, I believe that truly we want to meet that, you know, and I had mentioned to you, we flew our team in three weeks ago. Yeah. And we went around the room and said, you know, we were all in the room. I hadn't met half of my team members in person. So it was amazing to have them there. And we started that we kicked off the meeting to say, you know, what are your expectations out of this time together? Because I really wanted to hear that. I actually have a, a big pitch an hour after my conversation with you. And it's the same thing that I want to hear from the CEO is what would you like out of this hour? So I make sure that I can meet those needs for you. And they, a lot of them said, I would just want to get to know everybody and have fun because mm-hmm. we do all the business things all the time, right? We're always in the business, working on the business. You know, what are we going to do in this two days together? And we did some really value. We did the Colby personality assessment. Oh, I love that. I went one. over that. Oh, oh it's so good. <laughs> so good. I, I won't tell you how low my follow through score is, but I'm a good quick start now. <laughs> yes. And we, we did the comparison. Yeah. Well, you know, we own this HR company, which is such a gift, you know, that we have the sister company. And so the head of HR came into this assessment. So we learned so much about, but that goes to learning about each other. You know, I have not laughed that hard in so long. Mm-hmm. And at the end of that, we asked them, like, did you have fun? Did you get to know everyone? And just the energy that everyone took out of that, you know, that we just have better lines of communication open, better connection right. and our collaboration, right? Because that's one of the most challenging aspects of running a remote team is how do you communicate and collaborate on a daily basis? And I think the relationship is the foundation for that. Yeah, I totally, totally agree. And your team, when it has really amazing fluidity and unity, it's like a giant family. Oh, it is. Right? Like at some point, somebody's going to get mad at somebody and that's okay. Like work it out. And that's right. normal. We're humans. And there's such a joy when all of those pieces are working together and you get to uplift everybody. And that spills over into your clients and the work you're doing and how you get to affect everything else. Well, I also think it absolutely affects our clients and it affects my team members' families. Mm-hmm. And that's what I think about that after they close, they shut down their computer tonight. They're going to be with their families, their significant others and partners. And I don't want them leaving their, this sort of workspace or mindset and then bringing negativity to other people and to children. Right. You know, I want them to transition into that time that fe- feeling good about the work they did, feeling great about the people 
they spent their day with. Because imagine, you know, we all spend more time with each other than they do with their families. So I want to make that a rewarding, worthwhile experience that brings good things into other people's homes, you know, and, and I think it's working. You know, somebody posted yesterday because we're hiring as we usually are in that mode as we're growing and said, please come work for my company. It's so fun. And I said, ah, there's a reason, you know? So in addition to getting fired up about the marketing work, just these amazing people that I'm surrounded by every day. I just love it. But you have to cultivate it. You can't just bring people onto your team and expect it to happen. No, no. Culture. it's, It's led. Like that's a reflection of who you are and your vision, your values, where you see how you see everybody fitting in and really staying aligned to all of that as you're hiring and kind of formulating the future of the company. Right. And it needs to be sort of cultivated and reinforced. I do believe, you know, actually in this meeting I'm going to have after this conversation, we show our values to potential clients and say, look, I think you need to understand sort of what kind of people we are what we live by, how we hire our team, so that everyone that you talk to or work with at our firm, that we're all working by the same values. And we actually reward people by them. So our Friday meetings always start with a segue or an icebreaker and we best personal moment of the week, best professional moment of the week. And in that way, I can see like what lights them up about work and then what's driving them in their personal life that's making them happy. And so when I know those things about a distribute of my team that's distributed, I can sort of work with them better, give them more of what they want, pull more of what they don't want. Yeah. Yeah. I really like that too, because people tend to focus on the negative or the things that the lack, like I didn't get this, Mm -hmm. I might've missed that. So bringing that into the team meeting really gets them to refocus and recenter on all the amazing magic that they did have. And that they did. Absolutely. Right. My son who's playing, you know, is this athlete, he works with the coach out in Las Vegas, who's a PhD and performance management. And it's all about visualizing, Mm -hmm. warming up on the field rituals. And while visualizing, inserting positive affirmations. And he does it with him while he's doing diaphragmatic breathing. It's fascinating to watch it. Oh, so I'm so cool. Yeah, I'm on the Zoom calls because parent, as a parent, I'm involved in this process with him so I can support it. So I'm watching him do the breathing. I'm listening to his visualizations. And then I'm hearing, I am dominant. I am fierce. My legs are so strong. They will not be injured. I am running faster than everyone on that field. I am taking the ball at my... And it is amazing the neuroplasticity of our brains and how you can sort of create new pathways for those so that he's in the flow when he's on the field. And I like those team meetings and getting everybody in the flow, right? Of all the magic we're creating, all the things we're doing together. And then everyone's more open in that meeting. So I believe in sort of opening everybody up and hearing the positive before we sort of dive into what we're going to discuss that Mm -hmm. day. Well, and the more he's in the flow, like in his sport, the more that's going to translate into the rest of his life. And the same thing with your team. Yes. And we've talked about that. I mean, I don't tell him I'm really trying to keep your psyche from being damaged because you're an elite athlete and being used by a business as a child, because essentially that's what it is. You know, these soccer academies are trying to create homegrown talent, right? So I, instead, you know, I said, when you're in it going into a business meeting, right? When you pay attention to your thoughts and you see, you know, I told you about some doubt I've had, we all have imposter syndrome creep in here and there, but when you have the wisdom and the space to, to look at those and listen to them and say, well, how could I optimize that thought a little bit better? You know, it's not that I don't have this, I have this. So you can flip that around. Yeah. Well, I think you can flip almost everything around. It's just taking. Well, you see what you look for, right? What's that? You see what you look for. Yeah. Yeah. That's what you find, right? 
generally glass three quarters full person. Uh, yes. Yeah. yes, yes, uh, like always. But I don't, I don't see any other way. No, like I don't want to live in that space. And not that I don't have moments like that. Believe me, I do. Like that's yes, I do too. But it's how quickly can I reframe it, or if there's that negative experience, what can I learn from it? Well, just to be able to have that ability to pause, right? So the thought comes, the pause happens, and then you can look at it and be like, oh. So I call them brain reflexes. You know, I'm like, whoa, that was a good brain reflex there. Where did that come from? (laughs) I love that. I wow. Yeah. And I've told my significant other, I'm like, oh, wait, that was just a brain reflex. So I think that was reflexive more than a true thought for me. You know, let me, when I think about it and use my wisdom, I'm going to say this, but that was just a reflex. And he was like, okay, understand. (laughs) Amazing. Amazing. Amy, where can everybody get connected with you? Well, best way is probably wildcoffeemarketing.com. And then I'm also on LinkedIn. If you search for Amy Anderson and Wild Coffee, we've been posting some pretty interesting content through my content team lately. So, oh, cool. Cool. I've, and there's a reel of our team meeting. So on Instagram under Wild Coffee Marketing that I love because it shows the joy I think that we all have and the laughter. So if anyone wants to see a bunch of people, creative people laughing in a space of a minute, <laughs> it's a good pick me up. I'm going to go check that out when we're done. How did you name or choose the name of your company too? As coffee is, and you can see me, so you know I'm drinking coffee out of my Starbucks mug and near and dear to my heart, but how did you choose it? Well, it's actually a plant native to South Florida, not the kind that we roast. It's more like, I don't want to call it a weed, but it is a native plant. It has these shiny leaves and white berries. I suppose you could boil them or do something, but they're not really drinkable, but it was growing outside the window when I was writing my business plan and I was, I kept looking like, Oh God, I need to cut the wild coffee back. It keeps growing. And so when we went to our naming process and we were throwing out all these names, I came back to that and said, well, I once had this idea because it was this plant that was growing and beautiful and shiny and was, and needed to always be cut back because it grew on its own. And we thought it would be apropos for sort of what we do for our clients. Oh, that's work. brilliant. And people do think we do coffee marketing. We do get those, like, hey, I have a new roast that's coming and I'm trying to take it to market. And we would do that, but we do just work with mainstream brands. We just happen to be called that. I'm like, I'm in awe <laughs> because it does, it fits so perfectly. And I didn't know it was a plant. It is a plant. Actually, and I moved from the east coast of Florida to the west coast of Florida. And I was on our greenway here in our public space. And there was a big sign that said wild coffee because it was naming the plant that was growing right behind it. So I was so excited. It's native to both coasts. So I I moved here and I can still have it around me. That's awesome. That's awesome. Thank you so much. I loved our conversation. I loved it too. Two other ones in the future. I hope so. That was really, really fun. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you so much for being a listener of the Tribe of Leaders podcast. I am so grateful for each and every episode that you tune in and listen to. And I hope that you get a ton of value that you can implement starting today. I do have just a quick favor. If you wouldn't mind hopping on to wherever it is that you listen to podcasts and leave us a rating and review, it would help us tremendously so that the Tribe of Leaders podcast can be found more easily and help inspire other entrepreneurial leaders. 